Good morning and welcome to worship. Welcome to all of you, whether you're watching this online or reading this service, whatever time and whatever place you're doing it, in God's time we worship together. This morning I'm filming from our younger daughter's old bedroom here at home and wherever you are, I hope you're sitting comfortably and warm and you're ready to worship in spirit and in truth. Our call to worship. We gather here at the end of one week and the beginning of another, O Lord, of decades and days, centuries and seconds. We stop now for this moment and turn together to you who holds all time in your hand. Make us ready to receive you as we gather here today. Amen. We're going to sing together our first hymn, King of Kings, Majesty, God of Heaven, Living in Me. And so let us pray. We never worship you alone, Lord God. Even when we are on our own, we're still surrounded by your faithful people from the past 
in the present and of the future. Women and men have been prepared to die to serve you, Lord God. Your love has had such an amazing effect on them. Ordinary people like us have done extraordinary things, Lord God. Your Spirit has transformed them. We have been given hope that there is a purpose for life, Lord God. You have met us in Jesus. So with all your people of every age, we come to praise and adore you. Amen. Together in worship, we face what we might not face alone, that we are greedy but fail to love our bodies, that we are selfish but fail to love ourselves, that we are human but fail to love the earth. These we share in silence as we remember our own faults and failings. God of the turning tide, change us so that the energy of your forgiveness flows into bold and joyful action, into a humility which is not defeatism, into the strength and confidence to be vulnerable. Amen. We say together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We're going to share a reading now from Psalm 90. If you've got a singing the faith there, it's number 816 in the back of the book, um, but it is written on your service sheet too, if you have that. In this reading, like with the others that are, are put for this week's lectionary, we can hear that we're coming to the end of the church year to Advent. And today's psalm, there's a real discontinuity, there you are, between the comforting response line and the main text with its reminders of how fragile and short-lived we are. The key is in the last verse though. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. In other words, seize the day. We may be moving towards a season of waiting and let's face it in the middle of an extended period of waiting but it's not a passive time rather it's a reminder to use the time we have to grow in our service of god and of one another finding god's loving kindness in all things 
as I have no one to hear responses from here, I'm going to read all the uh, all the verses. But if you could do the responses in the dark type or indeed read all the verses as you feel you want to. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our refuge from one generation to another. Before the mountains were brought forth or the earth and the world were formed, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, O children of earth. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, which passes like a watch in the night. You sweep them away like a dream. They fade away suddenly like the grass. In the morning it is green and flourishes. In the evening it is dried up and withered. For we consume away in your displeasure. We are afraid at your wrathful indignation. You have set our misdeeds before you and our secret sins in the light of your countenance. When you are angry, all our days are gone. Our years come to an end like a sigh. In the days of our life, the days of our life are threescore years and ten, or if our strength endures, even fourscore. Yet the sum of them is but labour and sorrow, for they soon pass away and we are gone. Who regards the power of your wrath and your indignation like those who fear you? So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Turn again, O Lord, how long will you delay? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us with your loving kindness in the morning that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Give us gladness for the days you have afflicted us and for the years in which we have seen adversity. Show your servants your works and let your glory be over their children. May their gracious favour of the Lord, may the gracious favour of the Lord our God be upon us. Prosper our handiwork, O oh, prosper the work of our hands. Amen. We're going to hear Andy read us Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. The parable of the bags of gold. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who would receive five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked lazy servant! So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them, and throw that worthless servant outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. I've never liked this parable much, probably because I've only ever understood it in one way that's never really made much sense to me. We nearly always hear uh, that this parable is God being the rich master, entrusting money in accordance with their ability to three of his slaves while he goes off on a trip somewhere comes back and is hugely pleased with those who've made him even more money and off the scale incandescently angry with the one who hands him back the same amount he was given. Listening to sermons through the years, including my own, and at least one Roger Jones musical, I thought God seemed very hard on those who for whatever reason don't or can't make the most of what they're given. Something chimed against my experience of God. Still, it's an oft-told story for the launching of stewardship campaigns and even used by some as the biblical affirmation of capitalism. One person I was in conversation with said it was her headmaster's sermon at the first assembly of every year. Work hard and you will get great rewards, which, as she pointed out, she knew even as a child was not even nearly always true. Well, my reading and discussion with others also preaching on this passage this week has led me to a different reading of this parable, one that's making me think. The thing with parables is that they're not meant to give easy answers, as we often think. Jesus told them to make people think, not to tell them exactly how it is, what to believe and what will happen and what they should do. We're supposed to hear them and think how they might fit into the decisions and dilemmas of our own times, as well as the times in which they were written and told. So here is today's reading of this parable for you to chew on and think about. What if the rich master is not God? Let's face it, he doesn't act like God if you think about it. How if you read it like this? An incredibly rich drug dealer went on a journey and before he went he summoned three of the members of his gang under his control and gave them each some money. One five million, one two million and one one million pounds. 
In the time in which this story was told, the basic way to be rich was by taxing or extorting money from those poorer and less powerful than you. Maybe the listeners to this story understood that the rich master was not a good man, but one who had made much money off the backs of others. Perhaps this still holds true sometimes. And a talent, by the way, was a vast sum of money. The three slaves, or gang members, if you know anything about organised crime, you will know there is very little difference once someone is mixed up in it, went away and did various things with the money. They knew their master was a hard, ruthless, avaricious man, and they dared not lose his money. When he returned, two of the gang members had increased what they had been entrusted with to 10 and £4 million respectively, making him even more rich and powerful than he was before. But the one who had received £1 million knew that his master was a harsh man who reaped where, where he did not sow and gathered where he didn't scatter seed. In other words, made his money out of the hard work and suffering of others. Perhaps, says this reading, he knew this and he made a decision not to contribute further to this. So he just buried the money and handed it back to his master on his return. The master, rich as he is, is incandescent. In his words, world, missing the chance to be another million richer is unforgivable and deserves the deepest of punishments. What if, says this telling of the parable, Jesus is telling a story about himself and his refusal to side with those who exploit the poor to gain earthly riches? What if he is giving his disciples another clue as to what will happen to him for being countercultural and siding with the poor and the dispossessed? What if Jesus is the third slave? What if it is he who will be tried and condemned at the court of those in unjust power, cast out by them, rejected, their protection withdrawn, and open to the worst that the world could do to him outside. So, what if this is a way to read this parable? It's been suggested by Methodist theologian Professor Anthony Reddy and others that it might be. If it is, it picks up on a theme that keeps coming through in my reading and prayer life over the last few years, that what Jesus calls us to over and over again is to be counter-cultural. You may have heard me use that phrase before and you definitely will do again. The Gospels were written in times where their contents, the message of Jesus, the prejudice of God for the poor, the grace of God for all, regardless of social standing, was a dangerously counter-cultural message. In a Roman world where power, class and wealth were all if you hear this parable as good news this week, what does it mean to your life? For your use of money, investments, where you, what you buy and where you buy it from, what considerations you make before you spend it. Like Jesus, I'm not going to tell you what to think. Pray about it. Think about it. 
discuss what you think with your friends and consider what the consequences of following Jesus counter to our culture might be for you. Amen. We come to our intercessions. Let us pray. We pray to God who is always ready for those overtaken with demands, those leading our nations, those making huge business decisions, those running our healthcare facilities, those working towards a vaccine for COVID-19, those working out the legislation for their own sectors to keep people safe. Give rest, O Lord. For those overburdened with anxieties, those worried about their jobs, their finances, their health, their relationships, those they care for. Give rest and relief, O Lord. For those oppressed by powers that despise them, those in slavery, those in insubstantial, poorly paid work, those in parts of our communities that face discrimination, violence, unfair assumptions. Give salvation, O Lord. For those in situations they cannot see a way out of, for those suffering with their physical and mental health, those caught up in bad ways of life or with bad people. Give freedom, O Lord, for those in need of hope. Give hope, O Lord. Amen. And Lord, we bring before you in our prayers all the offerings that we have made to you for the work of your church, whether they be in service or money paid into the bank or sent by cheques. We ask that you will bless the gifts and the givers and will use it all for the work of your kingdom here on earth. Amen. We sing our last hymn this morning. It's good to be able to sing out in our own uh, in our own houses, even though we can't do that if we were together in church. It's a song written by John Bell and the late Graham Moore from the Iona community. Heaven shall not wait for the poor to lose their patience. The scorned to smile, the despised to find a friend. Jesus is Lord. He has championed the unwanted. In him, an injustice confronts its timely end.
And so as we draw this worship to a close, may God bless you with discomfort at half-truths and superficial relationships so that you will live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression and exploitation of people so that you will work for justice, equality and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation and war, so that you will reach out your hand to comfort them and change their pain to joy. And may God bless you with the foolishness to think that you can make a difference in the world, so that you will do things that others tell you you cannot do. And let us share together the grace with each other. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. <laughs>